0: Thank you for
1: checking out the Life Church Utah podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to give to Life Church, you can do so by texting the word LCGive to
0: 43506. And now, a message from one of our pastors. All right. So we're starting a new series today. Actually, well, last week it kind of started with Pastor Marco, uh, but we're talking about tough talks. And have you ever had to have a tough talk with somebody in your life? How many of you are parents and had to have a tough talk with your kids? I remember as a child, uh, I was the recipient of several tough talks. One of those was after shoplifting. (laughs) That's a tough talk. Come on. (laughs) All right. Um, uh, One of those uh, was uh, after skipping out of way too many days of school. (laughs) Tough talks. That's great. And as a parent... I have had to have some tough talks with my kids. Now, I have a whole list of things that I've talked to my children about. They're not going to make it into this message, but one of these days, uh, it's going to be there. But parents, if if you're going to feel my pain here in just a moment, that the tough talk, and I know we use this phrase. I don't know why it is. I looked it up online, still can't figure it out. But to have the tough talk about the birds and the bees. That makes you sweat as a parent, doesn't it? I mean, it's just kind of that thought, how am I going to do this? If you wait till they're 17, it is too late. They already know. So please, parents, have that tough talk earlier than you think you should. (laughs) So tough talks make it, or we feel it makes us uncomfortable to have conversations that are tough because we have opinions about things that are tough in life. And so if my opinion doesn't line up with somebody else's opinion, that becomes a tough talk. And how do we do that? And how do we find common ground there? And so we have a tendency to avoid tough talks. That can happen in marriages, can happen at the workplace, can happen, uh, can happen among friends. The problem is that others will continue to have the conversation if you pull yourself out of it. And so that tough talk will happen without you and you lose your voice. The church has kind of done that in some subjects, that we have pulled our voice out of the conversation, and I want to, over the next several weeks, put ourselves back in the conversation at least a little bit, kind of dipping our toes to figure out how we can better participate in the world around us so that we have, because I believe we have something to say about a lot of the things we're going to be talking about. There's this Old Testament prophet by the name of Micah. And he lived in a culture where, uh, that valued wealth, oppressed the weak, tremendous separation between the classes. The powerful elite were ruling, uh, were ruling the world ruthlessly over the powerless. Corruption had infiltrated at the highest levels, all the way down into grassroots. It was a corrupt society, and that was the nation of Israel at the time. It looked good on the outside, but the inside, there was just something amiss. Micah felt it. God obviously saw it, and so uh, God began speaking to Micah, who was the prophet. And this is what Micah spoke, really, and you know, really under the power of the Lord. And this is what it says, Micah chapter six, verse six: "What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? So, how should I prepare myself?" To go to God. Now, this, remember, this is in the context of people playing the spiritual game. This is in the context of corruption and power, and those that are powerless being oppressed. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings, year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offering of my body for my own, the offspring of my body for my own sin? They're trying to play the game, and they're trying to also up the ante. Notice it starts off, um, should I come before him with burnt offerings? That's kind of expected. And then he goes and with year-old calves. That becomes the next level of offering that's given. Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 streams? He's like getting more and more and more. How can I manipulate God in this process? Even to the point where this person says, can I even give my, my firstborn? Can I give my son or daughter? It's the circling of wagons. It's the religious speak. And Micah probably overheard people talking like this because they're trying to figure out how to have a vertical relationship with God with no depth to it at all. Verse 8, Micah goes on, Mankind, he's told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And he gives this seemingly simple three-point message. This is what the Lord requires, to act justly, to love faithfulness or to love mercy, and to walk humbly. This is what God requires. Is is there anything more clear in the Bible? This is what God requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Act justly, love mercy or love faithfulness or to love kindness, and then to walk humbly. These three things should mark our lives as believers how many of you in here have a tendency to go towards uh, the justice side of things? Justice people. How many of you are justice people? Yes, black and white. We got that. How many of you are mercy people? All right, mercy. My hand's raised there for the mercy people. Yes. How many of you have like, figured it all out and you've got it all equally in your life? Anybody got that all figured out? All right, a couple of you have. That's great. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some tough, tough topics. And today, we're going to be talking about human trafficking. And in particular, the human sex slave trafficking. We're not going to solve this today, but by our conversation today, I believe two things can happen. Number one, we're going to be informed in a way that perhaps we haven't been. And then secondly, we're going to find some practical ways that we can uh, uh, kind of engage in this process and help be part of the solution in helping folks that have been rescued out of the sex slave traffic. To help us out with that today, I'm going to invite our guest uh, this, uh, this morning, Tyler Schwab, who represents Operation Underground Railroad, is with us this morning, and we're going to have an interview with him. Would you please welcome Tyler Schwab to Life Church? <laughs> All right, so we have about 25 minutes to get through way more content than 25 minutes has, so we're going to work pretty quickly through uh, some of the things we want to talk talk to you about. So uh, just very quickly, um, uh, Tyler, why don't you explain a little bit about your background, kind of how you got to where you are right now, and, and that early story of how God kind of put a passion in your heart uh, for what you're doing currently.
1: Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys for having me here today at Life Church. Um, I'm very happy to be here and, and to share a little bit about my story mm-hmm. and, and the story of, of Operation Underground Railroad and what we do as a foundation. Um, my journey to this started when I was about 19 years old. Um, I heard about human trafficking modern-day slavery. And when someone told me that there were more slaves today, right now, than at any other time in human history, I was like, man, how is that possible? Like, we live in such a, a high society. Like, how is this happening? And, and so I wanted to find out for myself. And so I traveled down to uh, the Dominican Republic. And um, I wouldn't say I went undercover, but I went undercover. I wanted to research more about what this looked like and so I'd heard about young girls being sold on the streets of the Dominican Republic, um, some as young as 10, 9 years old. And, and so I, I went into these clubs, I went into these streets with the intent to talk with these girls, talk with these boys, and, and try to figure out what exactly my role was in helping. And so I remember one time I went into this club, um, and I wanted to talk to this 12-year-old girl. And so I was like, hey, I want to talk to that 12-year-old girl. I was right up front. I don't want to have sex with her, but I want to speak with her. And all the pimps thought I was a cop. They were like, no, not going to happen. Get out of my club. And I would pay double for their time in order to have some time with them. And as it so often does with those kind of people, the money spoke. And so they would watch us talk from the corner. And for about a month, I just kept hearing stories after story of girls who were tricked into a false job, promised a false education, um, promised a a better life. And in turn, they were sold and exploited and turned into a slave for the profit of their pimp and, and threatened with violence if they were ever to leave. Wow. So I had I, I traveled home, I was getting ready to go home, and I had decided that I, I wanted to help when I was older, when I had more resources, more time. Right now I was in college, I didn't really have the time to do this. And I was sitting in the airport uh, at the Atlanta Delta Lounge, and there was this doctor there with me. And I don't know what made him open up, but what he'd said, in reality, changed my life. And so what he said is, he, you know, we were talking about what we were doing, and he is also just getting back from the Dominican Republic. And uh, he asked me what I was doing there, and jokingly I said I was, hitting up the clubs. And he, for whatever reason, found confidence in me, and he said, Dominican Republic is great. I can leave work at 5 p.m. on a Friday, be on a plane by 6.30, arrive in Santo Domingo by 9, have sex with kids all weekend, and be back at work by 9 a.m. Monday morning. And like hearing that, I was like, wow. If people like that exist, then I have to do something right now, not in the future, but right now, even at the meager age of 19, and so I started a foundation that uh, focused mainly the Dominican Republic on focusing on aftercare and prevention efforts for girls that were in that community, and, and uh, so th- that's really how I got my start. Okay. It's been about a 10-year journey.
0: Man, I, uh, the justice people among us would have wanted to punch the guy, right? I mean, in that moment, I mean, that's just like, I just can't believe stuff like that. So how did you uh, come to connect then with uh, Operation Underground uh, Railroad and uh, kind of seeing what you had done and, and stepping into working with them then?
1: Yeah, so um, I connected with uh, Operation Underground Railroad about three years ago. Um, I, was, I was in grad school when they reached out and offered me a position uh, as part of their aftercare team, uh, mainly focusing on aftercare for survivors that we rescue here in uh, in uh, Latin America. And so that's my role uh, now. But OUR we're, we've existed for about five years now, going on six, and we were started by a former member of Homeland Security. His name's Tim Ballard, um, and he just saw areas where a private foundation could help empower governments around the world to, to solve this problem. Um, and he noticed that um, working different cases in Colombia, in Haiti, and finally reached a breaking point to where he left the government and started a private foundation. And so we're a rescue organization by trade, Operation Underground Railroad, we rescue children from human trafficking. And how we do that is we, we go undercover. Mm-hmm. We have members who are former uh, law enforcement, current law enforcement, um, former CS, uh, CIA, former FBI, former Homeland Security, former Navy SEALs, and it's the intent of using our American faces to infiltrate these dark markets around the world. Unfortunately, Americans are the largest producer and consumer of child pornography. It's the Americans who are traveling and engaging in sex with children, if you want it bluntly, and so we use that to our advantage. We go to these countries, we interact with these traffickers, and because we're Americans, they don't suspect that we're working with the police. They they give us everything. They say, hey, I got a 12-year-old girl, she's a virgin, she's been groomed for a year, 500 bucks and she's yours. All that info on camera given to the police so that they can, in turn, go in and rescue those children trapped in trapped in slavery. And my position, like I mentioned, is the aftercare. Um, so my role is when a girl gets rescued, when a child gets rescued, to either return them back to their family if they've been kidnapped or coerced away from their family, or to find a, a place of safety for them, an aftercare program, if their family is either non-existent or, or not a safe place. Yeah.
0: And, uh, man, my heart goes, I mean, I've got, I have three daughters, right? And so uh, you hear stories, uh, you know, like this. And my, uh, my heart, I should have brought up some Kleenex. I know I'm going to need a little bit later on. So. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you just came from and the circumstances of the uh, of the two girls that uh, you were you're currently with the aftercare program working with them? Tell us a little bit about that and what's, what what kind of led those
1: girls and how family played a role in that. Yeah, so I got back at midnight from a mission in the Dominican Republic, so I was glad that I made it on my flight and so was able to be with you guys today because I was really excited to speak at Life Church. Um, so these two little girls, uh, their story is. About two years ago, um, we were doing a training with the Dominican government on how to do an online investigation, how to infiltrate the dark web, how to take out information from places like WhatsApp, Messenger, um, Backpage, all these different websites that sell children. And during this training, we, encounter, we, we, we found a trafficker. The trafficker, is, she is a 35-year-old woman who was selling her two daughters Uh, via webcam. Her two daughters were five and seven at the time. She was live streaming the abuse to pedophiles in Pittsburgh, and she would receive payment via Bitcoin based on the sexual acts that the two girls would perform. And so our team went in, uh, we arrested the mother, and we rescued the two girls out of that situation, as well as their one-year-old brother, who was also living in the home, um, put the mother in jail. The mother got the max sentence uh, for human trafficking in the Dominican Republic, which is currently 15 years. So she's currently serving a 15-year sentence. And then my job started to begin. Is obviously they couldn't go back to any kind of family because the family was their primary their primary trafficker. So what we did is we, we found a safe haven for them. It's a great foundation, a great partner in the Dominican Republic. That's a Christian foundation that is able to not only heal these girls from the trauma that they've experienced, but also to uh, reinstill their worth in the eyes of God uh, to them, because that was, that was taken away from them. They were abused in a way that um, that was never God's intent when he created um, females, when he created children, when he created that, that yeah. innocence that should be protected. And so we're doing follow-up with them. We, we at OUR, we don't just rescue and dump. We're very much of rescue and then your family for life. Yep. And so we went back. Um, it was great. They saw us. We, we embraced. We talked. Talked about school. Talked about um, h- how things are going. How's their little brother. Um, if they like their new home. They showed us this, this sweet rabbit farm now that OUR helped put in to help them. I guess I don't understand the, the breeding of rabbits but how to breed rabbits and then sell that as high-end food in the country. And so that's something that they're learning and and so that trip was prim- primarily to go back and see them, to reconnect with them, to make sure they're okay, and, and to continue to advocate uh, in the future for resources on their behalf.
0: Yeah, it's that's, that's un- unbelievable. And so, yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> I think it's hard, right, as parents to, to think you could ever get to that point um, of, uh, of doing that, um, and that hits very, very close to home. But there are situations that are not home based like that and unfortunately corruption, uh, government officials, things like that, uh, sometimes the uh, the sex slave can become institutionalized. You were telling the story back a little while ago to myself and Pastor Marco about some things that happened in Guatemala. Can you share a little bit about uh, what happened there a, a number of years ago?
1: Yeah, I'll talk about this girl, Emily. Is her yeah, name Emily, the, the yeah. fake name we mm-hmm. used? Um, so Emily, she, she's one of my favorite little girls um, in the world. She's just got an amazing spirit. She recently became a Christian, um, about six months ago, I think. Um, and her story is pretty incredible. She, was, um, she met a guy via the Internet, and that guy ended up trafficking her on the streets of Guatemala. She was 11 at the time of her exploitation. She was rescued out, and she was placed into a government-funded shelter. And unfortunately, this shelter had become corrupt to where government officials were taking these, these victims that were rescued and then re-trafficking them, um, trafficking them to high-end government officials, to tourists that would come in. Uh, they, were tra- they were essentially placed from one situation of trafficking to another. And so the girls um, had had enough of this abuse. And so in protest, they set their mattresses on fire. When that happened, the police, uh, the guards of the prison locked them inside. So the fire started to grow, the smoke started to grow. And uh, it, at, the end of, at the end of the day, um, 41 of the 60 girls ended up passing away. Um, and this specific little girl, she's a survivor of that story. She, she's, she's amazing. She was an atheist at the time during the fire, and, and she really gets credit to what happened after that as far as her becoming a Christian. She, she collapsed on the floor trying to keep her head beneath the smoke line. Um, the government officials did end up unlocking the door at one point when the flames became too hot for them to handle on the other side, and then they ran away. So the girl, she, she fell beneath the smoke line, and she, in her words she said she saw an angel an angel that was leading her through the smoke to the open door. So her crawling on her knees while she's on fire, she, she suffered third-degree burns, crawling on hands and feet beneath the smoke to come out of the building. She said she followed the angel all the way outside of the building. The second she was outside the building, she collapsed into a coma, and the building came down. She woke up two months later from a coma in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so her story... Um, like like pastors were saying, it was a it was a situation situation of institutionalized trafficking, but she used that experience. Talking to her now, she she accepted Christ, like I said, about six months ago, and how God has worked in her life. Um, she she talks about the fire and how she had to listen to her friends die, and and the the permanent scarring that she has, but she talks about how she'd be able to use the use the experience to transform her country for mm-hmm. good. So she she went to the United States. She she um, got surgery there she came back to her country she advocated for new laws for more accountability on uh, the people that were responsible for this she's testifying in court here in a few months on the people responsible for locking the door she's been able to speak before the UN she's been able to speak before uh, the in, in the Vatican on, on her experience surviving the fire and how God's worked in her life and And she's a great example to me on on not losing the faith, despite all the darkness that she's been through. She's still got quite a a bit of an uphill battle. She's still going through quite a bit, but um, her, as far as overcoming street-level trafficking, institutionalized trafficking, and still using it for God's glory is something really to behold.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, praise the Lord that uh, that God is working in her life. Um, Now, some of these, obviously we're talking Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and it feels far away, and sometimes I think as, as the church, um, we can become very insulated, isolated from things and think it's happening, happening elsewhere. It's not happening in our backyard. But here in Salt Lake, what has been your experience in Salt Lake and what's, what's currently happening in this whole world and just right around the corner from us?
1: Yeah, um, it's not just a faraway thing. There's 2 million children that are being exploited across the world. And for a number like that to exist, there has to exist some kind of demand for that. And, and unfortunately, like, like we talked about, Americans are a, a primary funder of that. But here in Utah, um, we see a lot of street-level trafficking down on State Street and North Temple. A lot of women, a lot of children are trafficked in that area. Um, Utah, Utah consumes a lot of child pornography, and a lot of that, a lot of that consumption is filmed right here in Utah. Um, in fact, I've met, in my 10 years of doing this, I've met a lot of Really bad people. Really bad people. But I would say the two worst traffickers that I've ever met by far were lived here in Salt Lake City. One lived in downtown Salt Lake and the other lived in, in Lehigh, Utah. And what makes them so scary is how smart they were and their use of technology. I can say confidently, based on their actions, they were responsible for probably the exploitation of 2,000 kids across the world. Um, and thankfully, um, you know, a short time ago, a brave little girl who was – trafficked by them here in Salt Lake City, stood up, um, reported them to the police, fought through justice, fought through reschedules of trials, went through being attacked on the stand by by the defense attorney to really pursue justice and for all those 2,000 kids. And one of the traffickers involved in that is currently serving a 65-year prison sentence based on her bravery. (laughs)
0: For parents that are here among us, and you mentioned earlier, you said uh, Instagram, Messenger, things like that. What, what are some of the things that we as parents, as grandparents, um, and obviously concerned loved ones should be aware of in our culture around us and the, you know, Uh, How do we? what are the warning signs, what are some things we should be looking for uh, for our own kids and if not our own kids but other kids around us even as we're at Walmart or at Smith's or wherever we are, what are some things we should be looking for?
1: Yeah, if you have kids, I would just encourage you to monitor their online activity. Um, That's where a lot of the trafficking is going in the United States. Um, There's an estimated number, it's floated around by a couple different groups. It's about 65% of youth that has social media has been at point contacted by someone who wants to exploit them. So... That's a big number, and so watching the, the WhatsApp, the Kicks, the Snapchat, the Instagram, the, all those different applications. How many of
0: those, by the way? That's the first time you're hearing some of those names, of uh, of social media things. Uh, it's always changing, folks. The the landscape of what's available social media-wise. So
1: stay on top of it. Know what's happening. Yeah, know who you're communicating with. Um, for just in the street, if you if you notice a girl that has an obscene amount of cash, people just don't use cash that much anymore. But if someone has a ton of cash, it's usually silent. They're being exploited. Um, unexplained bruises, um, uh, fearful of, of speaking up um, for themselves. An Uber driver recently in, in San Diego noticed that a 16-year-old girl and an older girl were in a car, and the, the 16-year-old wouldn't speak for herself. It was the older woman who was exploiting or speaking for her. And so he reported it to the local police, and they were able to rescue this girl from a trafficking situation just because he knew the signs of what to look for. And on our.rescue, OURrescue.org, you can take a train that will educate you on what to look for as far as signs of trafficking.
0: Yeah, definitely. Please, I encourage you to, uh, to head there, and we'll have that resource up in, uh, in just a few minutes. Um, here in Salt Lake, how many, uh, how many are we, how many is OUR currently maybe serving in their aftercare and like, you know, the, the women and children, how many do we currently have? Just so folks know that this is not, once again, far away, but this is what's happening uh, just around the corner from here. What's OUR doing here locally?
1: Yeah, so um, OUR, we probably care for about 100 miners here in Salt Lake and probably 300 women who have been exploited here okay. in the Salt Lake, Utah Valley areas um, in a form of trafficking and exploitation. Wow. And um, we have a street outreach team that goes out and ministers to these women that are still on the street, offering them resources, um, connecting them to different ways to help. Uh, We we help fund the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force here in Utah, which Utah has one of the best Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces in the nation that are actively going out, looking for these people who are filming, distributing, looking at these kind of material and actively taking them down. And then um, just our partnerships with different organizations like Salt Lake Behavioral Health, Missio Day Christian Community, um, the, the Asian Association of Utah, plugging in different survivors to. Uh, different aftercare homes, different resources, so that they can experience uh, the full healing Mm -hmm. that that Salt Lake City has to offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned one thing of hope there was the Internet crimes against uh, children, which seems to be something that's very strong. What are some other uh, kind of glimmers of hope that we see happening uh, through OUR and other organizations for these uh, women and children who've been trafficked?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's a tough topic. It's like, thank you guys for being here. Just, you know, when you mentioned the topic, it takes a lot to hear something like this, like it's so dark and you have to give up some of your innocence to kind of mm. be exposed to this. But, but I think it's important. And I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think there was some kind of yeah. hope involved. Um, OUR to count, we, we've currently rescued about 2,700 victims of modern day slavery. We've helped arrest about 1,500 traffickers mm-hmm. across the world. Thank you. Our aftercare program, I would say we, we actively care for about 10,000 more victims of modern-day slavery that even we didn't rescue. Because, like I said, our mantra is when you come into contact with us, whether we rescued you or not, you're still family for life. And and so if I wasn't actively seeing women, children, men, boys being healed from this kind of trauma, I wouldn't be in it. And so there definitely is, is yeah. hope.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times, porno- pornography and just the the how the trafficking and pornography certainly go hand in hand. And I don't know if there's any stats out there, but um, I – Oftentimes, pornography is seen as something you do privately, on your own, no harm to anybody, but guaranteed, guaranteed somehow, some way, there's trafficking involved against that, the men and women involved in that, against their wills. And uh, folks, when, when you partake of that, uh, you, are, you are supporting this kind of trafficking. And so it's not innocent. Pornography is not innocent. And uh, so uh, parents, teenagers, men, women, it's out there. You know it is. It's available more than ever, and uh, this all goes hand in hand. It's not like you separate part of it and are able to. So I just got to encourage you, stay, 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 stay away uh, from pornography in any way, shape, or form. Um, Let's see. Here's what I want to do then uh, as we kind of wrap up here in the next few minutes how can people get involved with OUR and uh, really helping, uh, helping these, these women, in particular these children, uh, find, find hope and strength? What are some of the things, the resources available? I think we've got a slide. Uh, can we throw that up there really quickly um, of uh, ways to get involved? And maybe ex- can you walk through those, uh, those ways real quick?
1: Yeah. Uh, if you've got our website, you can get all that info on how to donate, how to get trained, how to volunteer. I I want to give a shout out to our prayer team too. We have about nine thousand people that are on our prayer list, and we'd love for you guys to join that as well. Like it makes a huge difference. I'll share a quick story.
0: Yeah, please.
1: um, There's this girl in Guatemala. Another another story, Guatemala. She's a beautiful soul. Her mother threw into a fire when she was about four years old, and so she has some pretty intense scarring on her face. Um, Her mother then trafficked her, and so she's just been through a lot in her life. And and um, she she was taken by MS-13 on the streets. And we knew that she was there, and we looked. We looked for her on the streets before. We got threatened once. We got we we couldn't find her once. It's it literally the largest, the world's smallest needle in the world's largest haystack, mm-hmm. essentially. And so uh, we sent a note out to our our marketing team. We were like, Hey, can you send a a, a prayer to these people that are on our prayer list because we need some extra prayer support. And they did. I even got the text. My mom got the text. She forwarded it to me. She's like, Hey. Just prayed. Um, we, we just got this prayer request. You guys are looking for this girl in Guatemala City that's with MS-13. We're like, great. Thanks. Um, appreciate it. And we went on our way. Not two minutes, I kid you not, not two minutes after that was, that was sent, we were walking past the library and the Holy Spirit was like, look to your left. <laughs> look to my left. There's this girl on the street. She, she's, she's shivering. She has a hoodie on. And I told my partner, Jessica, I was like, that's her. I know that's her. I, I recognize that hoodie. And so we run over there. We, we tap her on the shoulder. She looks up, bursts into tears, hugs us both. And I just remember her words saying, I don't belong here. Get me out. Wow. And so we took her out. We, we got her into a safe place, got her into an aftercare program, and, and away from the people that were trying to exploit her. And it would not have happened if we had not put in that prayer request for our followers to support and, and have that heavenly help in helping us find that girl. So if you do nothing else today, please join our prayer team because it makes a huge difference. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. We just, yeah.
0: <clears throat> we just finished a series talking about how the spirit of God is at work uh, within us. And that's a the perfect example uh, Life Church of what God does right by by His Spirit living within us. So that's uh, that's absolutely beautiful. So uh, take the O U R training, the online training that, that they have. Please take advantage of that. Um, a lot of great great skills that you can learn. Super simple, uh, but uh, incredibly valuable. Um, and then uh, volunteering, and then also the prayer team has already been mentioned. Uh, and then there are ways to be able to give to O U R and uh, their efforts uh, online, and you can go on there uh, to find out how to uh, how to do that. So. Um, that's that's on that side. But what's what is Life Church uh, Utah? What are we going to be doing here in the next couple of weeks uh, for this? And there's a obviously we can't solve all of the problems. And some of what we can do feels small, but the impact that's made cre- helps create a safe environment, helps create a, a safety and care for these women and children that have been rescued. So one of the things that we're going to be doing, if you noticed out in the lobby, there's a big blue bin out there. And over the next two Sundays, uh, obviously you didn't know about it until this morning, so don't expect to uh, bring anything in today. Uh, so starting next, next week and then the 25th, I'm going to invite you to do a couple of things. Number one, uh, winter is on its way. And a lot of these uh, women uh, certainly face a certain kind of exposure out and uh, outside. Uh, Their their physical care is not always the first concern of those who are trafficking them. And so um, one of the things that we can do uh, through some of the outreach that OUR does is provide simple things like uh, gloves and socks and it might seem super super simple but it's an incredible way for us to participate give them at least some uh, protection from uh, from that kind of exposure to the elements and uh, hopefully be a uh, be a witness to them through that the second thing that we're able to do is uh, be able to provide a uh, in a one-gallon Ziploc bag uh, these items, and these would be the travel size, by the way, not the, like, the gigantic uh, buckets from, don't go to Sam's Club <laughs> and get this, okay? We're looking for more of the travel size uh, things. Just go there. Super cheap way for us to participate. Provide hygiene packs uh, for these women for the children who've been rescued. Um, great way for man, parents, get your uh, young kids involved and be able to pr- provide this and let them know why you're doing this. Uh, to help people that uh, really are in desperate need. So make sure you do uh, do that. You can see what's on that list there. We also have a, a sheet out by the, blue, uh, by the blue bin. You can grab that and take it home with you. We'll also have this posted on our social media as ways that you can participate um, with this. Um, so we as the church, we as followers of Christ, are to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly. And so God is asking us to do all three of those things here uh, and certainly coming alongside OUR in this particular way this morning and over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I love what you said about prayer because prayer absolutely does change things. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. Um, we're going to pray uh, for a couple of needs. Uh, before we do that, can we just say thanks to, uh, to Tyler uh, for being here this morning with us. Really appreciate you. you. I love your heart and I love what your faith in Christ is doing to help us have a deeper understanding and connection with what God's doing in our world. But here's some five specific things we can pray for, and what I'm going to ask you to do is I read through these five. If one of them kind of jumps out and kind of put on your heart, when we pray together as a, as a church here in just a moment? Just lift those up in, in particular, okay? The first one is uh, praying for uh, the country of Jordan. The government has really institutionalized and government-funded slavery. And uh, we're praying uh, through. Oh, you! We're praying that God will uh, break the back of that uh, government-funded slavery there in the country of Jordan. Secondly, is a young girl. Now, none of these names are names that are uh, that are the real names. Obviously, just protecting them. Uh, one young girl's name is Becky, uh, who's been missing and likely and is this uh, the hands of Ms. Thirteen. She's 15 years of age. You need to pray for Becky, uh, Emily. Sorry, it's a young girl from. Uh from Guatemala. Uh, just continue to pray for her. Upcoming plastic surgeries, repair the burns on her body, and uh, she's currently pregnant, so I uh, need to pray for a safe pregnancy for her. Uh, another uh, lady named Nancy that should be protected from the mob as she seeks to testify against them. She was trafficked, and certainly her voice uh, does not need to be silenced. And then finally, OUR in uh, the Dominican Republic. Uh, they're uh, just looking for funding and just praying, praying for everything to work out Uh, turning a former bar and brothel into an educational facility and a place of hope. Folks, there's ways that we can bring hope to the world around us. And we as followers of Christ, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. And so let's uh, let's pray for those five things. Jordan, Becky, Emily, Nancy, and then this re- project in the uh, Dominican Republic. Let's lift these up as only followers of Christ can because we have a God who hears us, a God whose heart is turned toward the brokenhearted, a God who is uh, a father to the fatherless and all of these that are, that are in desperate need, we know that God hears their hearts cry. So let's lift up the name of the Lord and let's pray together. Jesus, thank we you. We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.